When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Wednesday. The bairn has been shipped off to nursery. I've had my weekly inspection of my mixer to see if he's fiddled with it, and he has done so. Fiddled with it again, it's back to normal, hopefully, for you can uh, hear my voice properly. Uh, the pot of Yorkshire is on, on the go, progressing, it's lovely. And we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that would be bizarrely called the noughties to the football of its time. This is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. This is episode 40 and we've got a cup final spectacular for you today. We're going to take a look at the 2001 FA Cup final, the Owen final. We're going to take a look at Fulham's run to the 2010 Europa League final and the table never lies. He's going to the Bundesliga where we don't have a Bayern Munich winner in 2007. Please leave us a lovely five-star review wherever you get your podcast. It helps us immeasurably and helps me deliver more podcasts better podcasts for you and every Wednesday we'll be here like clockwork with my pot of tea for the Notice Nostalgia podcast on Acast, Spotify and Apple wherever you get your podcast let's kick in with today's show shall we Let's go all the way back to 1965, the year where Liverpool won their first ever FA Cup. And that is just mad to think about, really, considering that they are one of the two biggest clubs in English football, that they hadn't won an FA Cup until 1965. They got to two finals. They'd lost to Burnley in 1914. They'd lost to Arsenal in 1950, both in the finals there. The first FA Cup was in between their sixth and seventh league titles. They'd finally captured it under Bill Shankly. Ian St. John scored the winner in a dramatic extra time period in the final against Leeds in a 2-1 win there. Shankly steered Liverpool to the cup final that year, delivered the foundations where the club rests on today and he did sign off in style in 1974 with the club's second FA Cup with a 3-0 win over Newcastle. Kevin Keegan scoring two against his uh, 
would be club from a managerial standpoint where he would be called a messiah among other things. The 70s and 80s for Liverpool were an explosion of success, both sides of the city, predominantly though in the red half, where they won 11 league titles between 1973 and 1990. FA Cups 3 and 4 were won under Dalgleish, both against Everton under very different circumstances. In 1986, Gary Lineker almost stopped Liverpool winning the League and Cup double, their first League and Cup double. And in 1989, just weeks after Hillsborough, Liverpool clinched an entertaining final 3-2 after extra time. Graeme Souness would guide them to FA Cup number 5 against Sunderland in 1992 before their last flirtation with the trophy, being the 1996 final defeat to Manchester United. Most famous, perhaps not for the on-field Football, but the white suits of Liverpool's team, the Spice Boys, as they were called for the remainder of their time, Fowler, McManaman, etc. They'd gone out in the first two rounds between 1997 and 2000. You've got losing, lost to Chelsea in the fourth round as Chelsea won the tournament there. You've got a Coventry defeat in the third round in 1998. You've got Manchester United beating them late on in the day in that treble winning season in the fourth round and you've got Blackburn beating them in the fourth round as well in 2000. And off the back of beating such luminaries as Tramia Rovers 4-2 and Wickham 2-1 quite late on at Villa Park, Liverpool were in another FA Cup final, the first FA Cup final to be held at Cardiff, but not the first English Cup final to be held at Cardiff. No, Liverpool were in that as well, winning the League Cup earlier on in the season via the lottery of a penalty shootout against second-tier Birmingham City in the League Cup final. And it was the beginning of one hell of a week for Liverpool and one that will go down in their history. First, we had this FA Cup final on May the 12th. Then we had the UEFA Cup against Alaves in Dortmund on May the 16th. And then the final game week of the Premier League season where a win was still needed for Liverpool against Charlton to confirm Champions League football. Which doesn't sound too momentous, the final game, but it was... If they did win against Charlton, which they did, it would confirm Champions League football for the first time since 1985, since the Hazel disaster. Arsenal, on the other hand, were the third most decorated FA Cup club. They had seven trophies. They were even behind at this stage. North London derby rivals Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham had won their eighth FA Cup in 1991. Meanwhile, Arsenal were stranded there on seventh. Obviously, the most successful FA Cup team at this time were Manchester United, with a grand total of 10. Arsenal, during the 1930s domination, where you had the likes of Herbert Chapman steering them to two league titles, Arsenal won five leagues and two cups. First in 1930 against Huddersfield, 2-0, and then in 1936 beating Sheffield United, 1-0. They loved to beat those Yorkshire teams in the cup final there. They did have a loss in the middle of that in 1932 to Newcastle, 2-1. They'd beat Liverpool in that aforementioned 1950 final, but would go without the FA Cup until the 1971 double win inside the team of Liam Brady, Pat Rice, etc. And of course, in that final, they beat Liverpool again 2-1 with uh, the likes of Charlie George and Eddie Kelly scoring in extra time in a dramatic final there. They were semi-regular day-trippers to Wembley in the 70s where Arsenal they beat Manchester United in one of the all-time great finals in 79, beating beating them 3-2 with the uh, late drama of two Man United goals, but Alan Sunderland scoring the winner in the 89th minute. But the other three finals that they competed in on the FA Cup basis, at least, they lost all of them 1-0. First in uh, 1972 to Don Revy's Leeds, then in 1978 to Sir Bobby Robson's Ipswich, and then in 1980 to West Ham. West Ham, who were not in the top flight at the time, but did have the likes of 
Trevor Brookin, Frank Lampard Sr. in the team. Arsenal would win their sixth Cup FA Cup as part of that double header with Sheffield Wednesday in 1993 as they beat them in both domestic Cup finals there. And they'd win their second double in 1998, Arsene Wenger's Arsenal trumping Rude Hullett's Newcastle there. They'd fallen to Ryan Giggs and Manchester United's treble winners in 99 in that fantastic FA Cup semi-final replay. They'd lose on penalties to Leicester the following year, but they were back in 2001 in the final back after beating two of their biggest adversaries in Chelsea in the fifth round, Tottenham in the semi-final at Old Trafford. Liverpool had won the previous fixture between the two fairly comprehensively. They'd absolutely humiliated them 4-0 in the Premier League in December 2000, which goes to show how well, um, how far Arsenal had fallen sort of from the days of 1998, uh, on a domestic scale at least, and... Unlike Liverpool, Arsenal had lost their previous final on penalties, not won it on penalties. They'd lost, of course, to Galatasaray in the UEFA Cup final the previous season in 2000. Joe, our resident Arsenal fan on this podcast, he said that the 2001 final in the FA Cup was the biggest robbery in football history, which um, Josh Moss, alongside myself, would say 2005 was the biggest FA Cup final robbery. Um, But I've... um, a soft spot for Arsenal in terms of this match because the, yeah, um, we'll we'll talk about that. But in the red corner, we have David Seaman in net, Lee Dixon, Martin Keown, Tony Adams, Ashley Cole. So not the sort of a transitional back four for Arsene Wenger. It wasn't that bold Winterburn, Adams, Dixon of George Graham and early Arsene Wenger. We've got the transition to Saul Campbell. He would come in this summer. We've got Colo Torre coming in the after the World Cup in 2002. We've got Lauren, of course, succeeding Lee Dixon, Ashley Cole, still uh, yet to peak, yet to mature. And he would be, of course, the medium term replacement for Nigel Winterburn until obviously Chelsea came along. And we've got the midfield of Freddie Lundberg, Robert Perez, Patrick Vieira and Gilles Grimandi. So Grimandi would have been a a replacement there, but we would Arsenal would get Gilberto Silva after the World Cup in 2002. That midfield was pretty sorted there for the double winners and the Invincibles. You've got Fabregas coming in to replace Vieira long-term. And up front, you've got Sylvain Wiltard and Thierry Henry, which is pretty... The, up front, they didn't really change much. Uh, Dennis Pernkamp would obviously be in rotation with Wiltard. You'd have Reyes coming in at times, Van Persie as well, towards the back end of Arsenal's success in the mid to late 2000s as well. And in the gold corner, the much-changed gold corner, we've got Sander Westveld in net for Liverpool, Marcus Babbel, Sammy Herpia, Stefan Honshaw, Jamie Carragher playing left-back, Danny Murphy, Stephen Gerrard, Dietmar Hamann, Vladimir Schmitzer, and the perfect strike partnership for me, Owen and Heskey. Big man, little man, fantastic uh, partnership there. Centre-back partnership wasn't too bad either with Herpia and Honshaw. You've got quite a young team there with uh, likes of Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Carrigan, not yet at their peak. They would do that in the subsequent few years. Gerard Houllier's pragmatism was in full flow here. Liverpool, for me, never really had the never really had the best players to compete on a 38-game domestic season, as Jamie Carrigan would admit. But in a cup game, which obviously in this season of all season, the 2000-2001 season, Liverpool could beat anybody. And the system was pretty much spot on and obviously Julia would be transitioned into Rafa Benitez for the 2004-05 season one of uh, Liverpool's greatest ever seasons so 
the greatest robbery in football history, as Joe says. So let's uh, get to the major talking point, I think, which is the Stefan Hancho handball on the line in the first half, which wasn't seen blatantly a red card, blatantly a penalty. And if that is seen by the referee or even the linesman, which it, 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 at full speed, yeah, it, I can see why it wasn't given because it could have been... His hand was quite close to the post. It was going in, no doubt, and it should have been a red card. In the VAR days, it would be a red card penalty, 1-0 Arsenal, if uh, the penalty was scored, of course. And for me, if that's seen, Arsenal win. Game over. Herpia had to clear off the line from Ashley Cole and Freddie Lundberg in the second half, and Arsenal were just turning the screw. It was uh, For all in the... Stadium, it was obvious that they would uh, win the match. And then Freddie Lundberg rounds Sander Westerveld, clips it in over Jamie Carragher. Arsenal lead 1-0 with 15 minutes to play. Do they win? No. A free kick, a late free kick, bobbles out to Michael and he pounces on it, eight yards out, lashes home a volley, equaliser late on. Name on the trophy, as uh, Clive Tilsley would say, but Arsenal were pushing and pushing for the winner. And it is there where they come undone. Liverpool break. Lee Dixon gets shrugged off the ball from Michael Owen and he managed to find the bottom corner with his left foot 2-1 in the last minute. We've had the Stanley Matthews final in 53. This is the Michael Owen final and we would have, of course, the Steven Gerrard final in 2006. And I asked my Twitter followers, what is the best FA Cup final? And quite a lot of you said 2006. So let's go first. Harry Holland, FT LOL podcast. George HS 2706, Lelouch, Stephen Tilbrook, all five of you said the 2006 FA Cup final. Stephen says plenty of goals, dramatic equaliser, penalty shootout, just a shame that Liverpool won it. And uh, Lelouch says he remembers Lily Allen crying on TV. FT Law says as a neutral, it's the best in his lifetime. And I have fond memories of this, of course. I'm with Stephen in the campus. Shame that Liverpool won it, but it, for all the drama and the the quality of the game, the... The dramatic Paul Koncheski, did he mean it? Because he didn't cross that went in. And I didn't mind all that much that Liverpool won it from a Man United perspective because it was just a fantastic game. I've got fond memories of watching it in the pub around the corner. 13 years of age I would have been. And yeah, fantastic FA Cup final. Lelouch also says 2001, which we've covered here today. And a couple of shout outs for the 2013 final. George HS2706 again. And AFC Finners. Finners also mentions... Uh, Stanley Matthews final of 1953 and shout out to AFC Finn has uh, got a great YouTube channel there where he covers stories, fairly unknown stories, which uh, give you an education in football as well. So check that out. And for me, I've got a long list of uh, big FA Cup finals here. The main ones in my lifetime at least were 2006. 2001 is a good one as well for the, the drama of the last 10 minutes. For shock value, at least, let's go to 1973, Sunderland beating Leeds. 76, Southampton beating Manchester United. We've covered the 1980 final with Arsenal. You've got the dramatic 1987, Coventry versus Tottenham, which Coventry won 3-2. Obviously, the following season, the biggest FA Cup shock of all, maybe. Wimbledon beating Liverpool, Crazy Gang, Culture Club, all that jazz. And obviously, the 2013 final with Wigan beating Manchester City with the last header, the last kick of the game, Ben Watson. And Wigan, of course, relegated that season. For the drama, we've got 1981, we've got 1983, we've got 1991, 2001, 2006. So two, the last two we've covered, 1991 for me, is probably one of, it, it, one of the best last FA Cup finals before. It was the Premier League, got Forrest, Clough needing to win that FA Cup, he'd never been in it. Uh, you've got 1981, the Ricky Veer 
goal against Man City for Tottenham. You've got 1983, Brighton almost beating Man United. Would have done if Smith hadn't have scored in the last minute, if he would have scored perhaps. And obviously 2001, 2006, we covered. We've got the legacy matches of Bert Troutman, the stories of that from 1956 when Manchester City won the FA Cup. There's a great picture of him and Don Revy from that. After that cup final, Don Revy looking pleased. Troutman holding his neck, obviously still standing. Somehow he's broken his neck. Uh, you've got the White Horse final. Um, I'm pretty sure that was 1931. I might be off with that one. Should have done my research a bit better on that one. And uh, famous for the White Horse patrol in the perimeter of the pitch because pretty much hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people managed to get into Wembley Stadium that day. And of course, the Stanley Matthews final of 1953. Blackpool beating Bolton 4-3. You've got 1965 that we've mentioned Liverpool and Leeds going the distance, dramatic late winner there for Liverpool. You've got the 1989 final, Liverpool as a City United after Hillsborough, serving up a fantastic final there. 1990, you've got Alex Ferguson perhaps saved in his job as Manchester United manager and all that would entail. You've got the double winners of 61 for Spurs, 71 for Arsenal, 86 for Liverpool, 1994 and 96 for Manchester United with the wins over Chelsea and then Liverpool. Arsenal double winners in 98 and 2002 with uh, Ray Parlow's goal against Chelsea. you got Chelsea, of course, winning the double in 2010 under Carlo Ancelotti as well. The treble for Man United in 99, the treble for a treble for Manchester City in 2019. All fantastic uh, stories that the FA Cup will cook up and will it cook up another great FA Cup final? Of course, we could have another double winner in Chelsea if they win the Champions League and if they win the uh, if they win the FA Cup by beating Leicester Leicester of course could win their very first FA Cup but that is a, a matter of a few weeks away and I may have just jinxed that for Chelsea fans because they're played Real Madrid this week and you might know the result as you're watching or listening to this rather but some good stories to come in the FA Cup some great stories of the past and we're moving on to another great story and another great final, the 2010 Europa League final, after this short break. And we're back. Let's discuss Fulham's history in European football. We won't be here for that long. And uh, we have to go for that to the summer of 2002 for the Intertoto Cup. And to Finland and to FC Hacker, where a Steve Marley goal squeezed the cottages through on away goals. Igalio of Greece, I've, no, I've never heard of them either. They would be an apologist to Igalio fans who listen to this podcast, which I'm sure there are many. So show sure we're done home and away before a Genichi Inamoto hat-trick sunk Bologna, and that's before we've even got to the UEFA Cup. We're still in the Intertoto Cup here. Fulham win 5-3 on aggregate in that final against Bologna. And now the competition proper. Malaga and Stuttgart there also in the Europa League hat the UEFA Cup hat, rather, because it is 2002. We've got Fulham there in a tour of Croatia. We've got Split and Hajduk, which they are beaten in the first round. Then we've got to go to Zagreb and to Dynamo, which they're beaten in the second round. These were the, the heady days of Steve, Steve Malbronk, Luis Beaumarte, Barry Hales, Luis Saha, let's not forget as well. And then the might of Hertha Berlin came in the third round. Hertha, a team that would previously be in the Champions League just a couple of years beforehand, they beat Chelsea in the year 1999 in that group stage, beat Fulham 2 this time out, and with Boa Vista, Malaga, the Intertoso Cup team, they qualify with, and Celtic, on the path to the final, could Fulham have reached the 2003 final as well? That is a what-if for another day, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> maybe some Fulham fans will want to know if they would have 
won the UEFA Cup in 2003? The short answer is no, because of Jose Mourinho. But would it have gone on to bigger and better things? Who knows? Would they have had this final? Atletico, on the other hand, they have had a much storied European career. They were the first Spanish team not named Real Madrid to make a, a European Cup semi-final. And by current day rules, they would have been in in the final in 1959. Losing 2-1 at the Bernabeu, winning 1-0 back home. They would have won on away goals. But in this day in this day and age in the 50s, it meant a playoff and a th- effectively a third leg. Alfredo de Stefano and Frank Puskas combined in a 2-1 win in that third leg. And Real Madrid, of course, would continue their dominance five in a row. It would be. Uh, Atletico Madrid would collect a trophy in their next European escapade, beating Fiorentina in the 1962 Cup Winners' Cup final and return to that final a year later, only to be beaten by the mighty Tottenham Hotspur in 1963. A third final for Atletico Madrid, a third European final, was 1974, missing out on an, via another replay this time to Bayern Munich in the European Cup final. Seconds away from becoming European champions, but Hans-Jorge Schwarzenbeck scored the equaliser. And does that sound similar enough? Well, we'll get to that first. 2010. 13 appearances in the UEFA Cup between 1967 and 1993, Atletico Madrid had, in all 13, they faced first or second round exits. In knockout ties prior to 2010, Atletico held a four wins, three loss record over English teams, the most recent of which was a loss to Bolton in the last 16 in 2008, in the last 16 of the UEFA Cup there. They picked up a couple of draws into against Liverpool as they were finally returning to the Champions League. This was in the group stages and it is the Champions League group stages where they started off in 2009, but a 4-0 defeat at Stamford Bridge ushered in a new manager in Kike Sanchez Flores. Atleti couldn't turn it around though, they'd draw three, they'd lose three and scraped into the UEFA Cup on away goals effectively ahead of Apoel Nicosia. They'd drawn in Cyprus, 1-1, drawn 0-0 back in Spain. Third meant the Europa League and they had the worst record of the third place teams alongside the Big names of Juventus and Liverpool, former European champions. You've got Wolfsburg, a team on the up. German champions, Marseille, big name, former European champions. And then you've got your standard Liège's, your Ruben Kazans and your Unarea Erzacenis, which fans of Rangers might remember them because they they dished out quite a few defeats to them back in the day. Atletico Madrid, they had an irresistible front line. You've got Reyes on the wing. Somehow also on the wing. You've got Diego Fall and Sergio Aguero as well coming to the fore. They had drama in this um, in this run to the final. We might credit Fulham with uh, producing drama. Atletico did it as well. A late Diego Fall and goal to beat Galatasaray in the round of 32. You've got Aguero getting a double in Lisbon to beat Sport in Lisbon on away goals. Another 2-2 away goals win against Valencia in the quarterfinal. So it could have been all different really and then they had the tense affair against Liverpool in the semi-finals which went to extra time but before we cover that let's jump over to the other half we've got Liverpool and Atletico Madrid in one semi-final a Champions League finalist and a five-time champion the third semi-finalist were Hamburg a European champion in their own right from uh, 1983 and then there was Fulham a team only in their second European endeavour and what an endeavour it was Liverpool fans of a certain vintage might have nightmares of FC Basel. They'd eliminated them in the Champions League a couple of times in 2003, and I think they did in 2014 as well. Well, Fulham beat them home and away in the group stages. Middlesbrough, of course, also eliminated Basel in 2006 from the UEFA Cup. 
like Middlesbrough in that cup run. Fulham had got on, well, unlike Middlesbrough, really, they got unlucky against Rome, almost won at home, last-minute equaliser, and led for an hour in Rome, but were beaten. They were fairly comfortable in the knockout stage tie against Shakhtar Donetsk. The reigning champions, let's not forget, Bobby Zamora getting a winner at home then, and then the tie that you all remember. The tie that you're all remembering, the last 16 match against Juventus, the marquee tie. Uh, this wasn't the Juventus juggernaut of the 90s that appeared in four UEFA finals in a row that were supremely successful, the team of the 90s for me. It wasn't the Juventus team that would be dominant domestically in the 2010s or reach two Champions League finals. But still, we've got Fabio Cannavaro, we've got Fabio Grosso, Alessandro Del Piero, Felipe Melo, Mauro Camaronese, Antonio Candreva, David Trezeguet, Fulham had the likes of Aaron Hughes, Bobby Zamora. I mean, Juventus was still recovering from Calciopoli. They were still overwhelming favourites, so they won 3-1 in the first leg. And because you're hearing me discussing a Fulham FC final, you'll know that the return leg at Craven Cottage was quite possibly the greatest night in Fulham's history. Not just on this run, and yes, Juventus had nine men with the red cards of Fabio Cannavaro and Zabina. They had Buffon missing. Conceschi played it into Zamorano, to Zamora, and Juventus were outdone. And that is a sentence that I never thought I'd type down in my notes. I never thought I'd say aloud, but it's not a sentence you'll ever hear again. So enjoy that one. Um, that was 1-1 after Trezeguet's early opener. And that soon became 3-1 either side of the break. You've got Zoltan Geary getting a double, first from point-blank range, and then the third from the spot. Dempsey, Clint Dempsey, chips in the winner late on. It wasn't going to extra time. It was a Fulham winner, 5-4 on aggregate. Perhaps the greatest English underdog story across a two-leg tie. I mean, you've got Middlesbrough beating the likes of Dow Bucharest, Basel and Roma in those fantastic comeback wins of 2006. You've got Chelsea beating Barcelona against all odds in 2012. Pep's final European match for Barcelona there as manager and United against Juventus in 99 and all magical nights there. Fulham's perhaps ranks alongside those. Of, of course, you've got Liverpool beating Olympiacos as well and Arsenal's runs, but we'll discuss them in a second. A German route after that was Fulham's fate. They looked to have squandered a quarterfinal really against Wolfsburg when the German side German champions got a late goal, a late away goal in West London, which was a 2-1 win. But Bobby Zamora equaled that away goal inside seconds in the Volkswagen City and 3-1 was the aggregate score. Two weeks passed and Fulham were finding themselves reaching for their passports to go to Germany again and they got another clean sheet in Germany, which wasn't a disaster. They could have done with an away goal, especially after after Hamburg scored through and Ladan Petric with a fantastic free kick at Craven Cottage. But Fulham, faced with insurmountable odds, prevailed again. A moment of inspiration, really, from Simon Davies levelled the tie with a flick and then a goal to equalise, but they still needed one more late on. Zoltan Geary, the man of the moment, scoring the brace against Juventus, stepped up 14 minutes to go, won the second ball, stuck it in from eight yards out, 2-1 Fulham. We're in the final of the Europa League and like I say, has to be there for one of the best runs by an English side in European history. And I did ask you a lot on Twitter, which is the best English team run in Europe? A lot of you said Manchester United 1999, Stephen Tilbrook, FT Law, and the 10 in the Hole podcast. Stephen says the 3-3 draws with Barcelona coming of age, come back 
against Juventus, winning the final in injury time, of course, and FT Law says, getting through into Milan with R9, admittedly with, uh, for just one leg, the great Juventus side, Barcelona with Rivaldo, the Ballon d'Or winner, and the Bayern Munich side, which would win it all two years later. And telling the whole podcast simply just says, it will always be the correct answer. And Juventus, yeah, they were the best team at the time. Bayern Munich were becoming that best team. They were gradu- They graduated from the UEFA Cup winning 96 to the Champions League final and they were getting there closer and closer and closer in Lothar Mateus' final days as Bayern Munich's player. Um, Man United did a similar graduation, getting quarterfinal, semifinal and final, of course. And yeah, the Juventus team... Fantastic Inter Milan, fantastic Barcelona, of course. Easily the most difficult path to a Champions League winner's medal. Don't at me, as they say. George HS2706 goes with Chelsea in 2012. And yeah, fantastic run off uh, Chelsea there. Napoli, the, I think that's might get swept under the carpet because of the Gary Neville's goal-gasm in the semi-final against Barcelona and beating them. But the Nap- that doesn't happen without the Napoli win after extra time and, yeah, another dramatic run. Maracas Flute says Fulham's runs technically in the noughties and he goes for that and, yeah, he's got to be one of... He's got to be up there. Uh, Jake Collinson, as we covered last week, Arsenal's run in the 2006 Champions League final beating Real Madrid, Juventus, etc. Harry Holland goes for a Manchester United one, but 2009. Porto... Of course, that fantastic goal from Cristiano Ronaldo and the Arsenal win, which we've, of course, again, covered last week. Luch gives us a couple as well. Middlesbrough in 2006, Chelsea again in 2012, Spurs in 2019 and Man United in 99. Contractually, I do have to say Man United 99, more so than 2008, which even though it brought about that second European Cup for Sir Alex Ferguson, the run to get there wasn't too difficult. I mean, you had Barcelona in the semi-finals, but in terms of the group stage, it couldn't have got easy. Dynamo Kiev spot in Lisbon. Roma, I mean, beating them in group stages and in the quarterfinals, beat them the quarterfinal before as well, quite comprehensively, 7-1 in shades of last Thursday night. And 2009, it was probably a better run than 2008, but 99 will never be topped for me. Um, Chelsea in 2012 and Arsenal in 2006, dramatically up there for two very different reasons. Chelsea had the slugfests of Napoli, the the Torres goal against Barcelona. Barcelona was the best team on the planet, probably the best team ever assembled. Arsenal was a bit more tense, a bit more stoic, didn't concede in the entire knockout stages. Uh, but for me, yeah, Mid- Man United in 99, Middlesbrough 2006 holds a special place in my heart, those days of Macaroni, Yakubu, Viduka. Those, they often always scored last-minute winners, last-minute Comeback winners, Basel, Stour, Bucharest, Roma. It was just magical. The days when uh, the Europa League was on Channel 5 and it was unmissable TV there in the uh, in the winter and spring of 2006. Liverpool 2005 has to be spoken about as well. The Olympiacos goal, Steven Gerrard. They did beat, let's not forget, Juventus as well. That Chelsea game, which is the... We came up to the 15-year anniversary this past week with the... 16-year anniversary this past week with Louis Garcia scoring the goal from the moon and also Liverpool and Tottenham in 2019, the two great comebacks in the semi-final. Um, I probably peg that as the greatest knockout phase in Champions League history. You've got Liverpool beating Barcelona after losing 3-0 in the new Camp. You've got Trent taking the corner quickly. What a fantastic um, semi-final that was. And then Tottenham had to go to 
had to go to Amsterdam and top it and somehow they did. They went, obviously, Ajax had won the first leg 1-0. They'd gone 1-0 up in the semi-final. It looked as though, they, yeah, it was over. Second half, Tottenham were just going to ride it out. Well done. You got to the semi-final, best ever showing. And then Lucas Moura turned up. Harry Kane, not even in the squad, let's not forget. And that hat-trick, obviously, that probably ranks as one of the greatest nights in Tottenham's history, of course, in terms of Premier League before after the likes of Bill Nicholson and um, the successful teams there. But it's the semi-finals and winning that in that style in the last minute has to go down in history. Of course, the Tottenham, uh, the drama of the win against Man City in the quarterfinals. Man City thinking they'd won it in the last minute, but Raheem Sterling done by VAR. Spurs helped a little, got a helping hand, should I say, from VAR with the Llorente goal. Um, I don't think that was... I've, think that was a perfectly viable goal and the, the Sterling goal being ruled out was very very harsh to say it was deflected onto Aguero um, but you know those are the rules unfortunately or fortunately depending on where your allegiances lie let's return to 2010 so Fulham returned to Hamburg the scene of the crime of the semi-final win and they were playing Atletico Madrid in that final Atletico had gone from obscurity in European football they dabbled a bit in Champions League gone to Liverpool taken them to extra time and beat Liverpool in an Anfield night under the European lights. Diego Forlan breaking their hearts once more, 2002 to 2010, still breaking Liverpool hearts. And going into the contest, you'd be forgiven to think this was going to be a severe Middlesbrough thumping, which was the case in 2006, a 4-0 win for the Spanish side there. They were warning signs, Sergio Aguero and Diego Forlan linking up quite well early on, Forlan hitting a post and Perhaps more serendipitously, Aguero skewed a volley onto Forlan, who did score in the first half. But within moments, Fulham got them back level. Simon Davis found on the back post, smashes a volley in beyond David De Gea in the net, a young, very young David De Gea in the net. And uh, Davies had gone very close either side of that goal, and it wasn't the one-way contest that you might think it would be, of course, with the two clubs uh, diverging successes after this match. This would be a thrashing, usually, but this was very, very close. And it would go to extra time. So Joguera almost won it with a a sliding shot, bizarre shot. It struck the side netting, though, and Diego Forlan was named man of the match, or at least he should have been. He was fantastic in this game. He would get Atletico's second goal, prodding home, four minutes to go, 116 minutes left on the... 116 minutes on the clock, and Atletico Madrid won the Europa League their very first Europa League. It proved to be the peak of Fulham's history. They'd be back in Europe for the 2011-12 season, but they would be out in the group stages losing away to the likes of FC Twente and Vizsla Krakow. They'd be out of the groups. The winners, though, that year was, of course, Atletico Madrid. This time under the stewardship of Diego Simeone, they beat Marcelo Bielsa's Athletic Club in the final there. On April the 30th, Atletico confirmed the end of a 40-year wait for a European Cup final, beating Chelsea in the semi-finals. Four days later, Fulham lost 4-1 at Stoke to end their stay in the top flight, their 12-year stay in the top flight. Fulham have been back twice to the top flight since, relegated immediately in 2019, probably going to be the case this year as well, let's be honest. Meanwhile, in 2014, Atletico was seconds away again, from a first Champions League, Sergio Ramos equalising for Real Madrid, just like Schwarzenbeck in 1974. Atletico would bow out 4-1 losers. You've got Angel Di Maria putting in a fantastic performance in that final. You've got Gareth Bale 
scoring the second goal, the winner, Ronaldo scoring a penalty. Atletico would go even closer two years later to the same opposition, of course, beating in the penalty shootout against Real Madrid at the San Siro. Cristiano Ronaldo again scoring a penalty, this time the Champions League winning penalty. The same season where Fulham finished 20th in the Championship, their lowest position since they were promoted from what is now known as League One in 1999. Atletico Madrid, they've been ever present in the Champions League from 2013-14 onwards and even managed to win a third Europa League in 2018, beating Marseille and Fulham couldn't be further away really from European football and look to be going back to the Championship this year. After the short break, we'll be heading out to the continent, heading to the Bundesliga, to the table never lies in the 2006-07 season. Welcome back, the tea's gone cold, but we will push on. The table never lies, 2006-07, Bundesliga. So we've got two games to go, as it were, 14 years ago today. And the top three looks like this. Schalke on 65 points, Stuttgart on 64 points and Werder Bremen on 63. Where the hell are Bayern Munich? Well, they're in fourth place, but they've got 54 points, so they're out of the title race. Marooned on fourth place as Nuremberg on 45 Leverkusen on 45, Hanover on 44 and Bochum on 42. They're jostling for European positions, but they won't catch Bayern. And in mid-table, the death of mid-table, we've got Dortmund and Hertha Berlin and Energy Cottbus on 41 points, Hamburg on 39, Armenia Bielefeld also on 39. Those last two clubs safe, but a club that just needs another point, really. Eintracht Frankfurt on 37, Wolfsburg on 36, and you've got Aachen twinned with Halifax, my local town there and uh, mines on 31 points either side of the dotted line and Gladbach on 26 are relegated quite comfortably relegated so we've got a bit of uh, a bit of a selection on who's gonna take up Bayern's mantle as the Bundesliga champions Schalke they had another one a Bundesliga the last of their seven titles came in the Oberliga days in 1958 Stuttgart had four German titles two of them Bundesliga's most recently in 1992 Bremen had four titles too, all Bundesliga last one in 2004 as part of an almost domestic treble, um, which we covered in episode 32. I asked my followers if they could name me a year where Bayern Munich didn't win the league and we've got a number of a number of answers here. Lelouch coming up with quite a few here, including 2007 where they were not even in the Champions League, mentioning 2002, 2004. 2009, of course, Wolfsburg were the winners there. And the Klopp double of 2011-22-2012, which is echoed by George HS 2706. Maracas Flutes as Kaiserslautern 2000-ish. And I know for a fact they won it in 1998. And he also states the Ailton vintage Werder Bremen winning the league. Maracas Flute unimpressed with the keeping and defending, but Johan McCood was, uh, as he puts it, three fire emerges. FT Lol also uh, states 2004 Ailton. Don't judge a book by its cover. Fantastic player. Jake Collinson remembers Stuttgart winning it one year and then Wolfsburg. And tending the whole podcast again echoes Werder Bremen 2004 domestic double. And yeah, check out Table Never Lies from episode 32 for that one, where we covered that in quite some detail with the win over Bayern Munich to seal that Bundesliga. So we had two games remaining in this title race. Schalke were in the driving seat. They'd taken three points off Stuttgart, six over Bremen, and they had a trip to the Westfalenstadion to Dortmund on the penultimate week. 
the big derby in that neck of the woods. Stuttgart, though, they were the form team. They were on a run of six straight wins, one of which was a 2-0 win against Bayern. They had Bochum and Cottbus, two middling teams who had no real hope of achieving anything with the remaining fixtures of the season. Whilst Werder Bremen had, on paper, the easier fixtures in Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, but they were in need of wins to stay up. Bremen had just alleviated the distraction of the UEFA Cup, losing 5-1 on aggregate to Espanyol in the semi-finals. They would be made to rue their four losses to Stuttgart and Schalke almost immediately. The team, somewhat similar to their 2004 side, which you had the main players there, McCood, Ailton, they weren't there, but you had quite a lot of uh, of the names still there. They were beaten at home to Frankfurt, so their title hopes were evaporated. Arnaldo own goal and a mixture of Stuttgart's late win in Bochum had them out of the title race and effectively fighting for second place should Schalke drop out as they did in the penultimate week where they were beaten by Dortmund 2-0. Stuttgart were the leaders going into the final day. Schalke were playing Armenia Bielefeld safe in 10th and Stuttgart were playing Cottbus similarly safe in 13th. Two teams that you'd want to play. Two middling teams didn't have anything to fight for. Although you could say the same thing about Borussia Dortmund, they had nothing riding on that match apart from personal pride, derby pride, and they beat Schalke. Nothing was guaranteed going into the final game. And as it proved in the first 20 or so minutes, Schalke getting themselves into a comfortable 2-0 win, 2-0 lead inside 15 minutes, and the goal difference was quite a slender disparity, so they could could use all the goals they could get. While Stuttgart, they were 1-0 down to Cottbus at home. Thomas Hitzelsberger fired in an equaliser for Stuttgart, a move which put Stuttgart on top by just plus one goal difference. So, if Schalke could muster up a couple more goals, win 4-0 perhaps, they would be in the driving seat. But there's always that chance that Stuttgart get the winner. And it wouldn't come down to goal difference. Sammy Kadira heading in a winner for Stuttgart, a 2-1 win at home to Cottbus. Stuttgart, the rightful champions, Bremen and Schalke following them into the Champions League for the 2007 8 season Schalke still without a Bundesliga and this season of course dropping out of the Bundesliga they were one of they were only the one of the German teams to make the Champions League knockout phase in the in the subsequent season they even beat a former champion in Porto in the last 16 but bowed out to the magnificent Barcelona team featuring Lionel Messi in that quarter final and in the UEFA Cup that year in the 2007-8 season German representation would be Bayern Munich, Bayer Leverkusen, the dominant teams of yesteryear of the half, last half generation. Nuremberg joined them after a couple of dicing with uh, relegation death and Hamburg made up the names. Hamburg, of course, qualifying for the Intertoto Cup, the great Intertoto Cup in its dying days here, really. They would beat Romanian outfit Dacia Chisinau, which for any Romanians listening, I'm very, very sorry for that pronunciation. Hamburg would join such luminaries as Atletico Madrid, Alborg, Sampdoria, Blackburn, Asi, Lons, Uniao, Liaria, Rapid Vienna, Hammerbe, Otolo Galate and Kazakh team Tobol Kostane. Again, sorry for any Kazakh listeners of this podcast. And out of those 10 teams, only Hamburg and Atletico made the knockout phase. Hamburg out at the last 16 to buy a Leverkusen. There were no German casualties until the knockout stage. You've got Werder Bremen dipping in from the Champions League making the last 16 going out to Rangers. Rangers, of course, making the final there. Nuremberg were the first to fall, losing in the last 32 to Benfica, whilst, of course, who got the furthest? Yeah, Bayern Munich. 
beating the likes of Aberdeen, Anderlecht, Hetafe. But Zenit St. Petersburg stunned them 4-0 in the second leg of the semi-final. It looked to be Bayern Munich in the final, winning it all, just like 1996. But they didn't. Zenit won it instead, beating Rangers 2-0 in Manchester. It was Bayern's first season, not in the Champions League since 1996, where they had a first-round exit in the UEFA Cup as holders by Valencia. Holders because they had beaten Zinedine Zidane's Bordeaux in 1996, but that is a story for a 90s nostalgia podcast. Let's look back to the relegation zone, to the other end of the table. Relegation was all but sewn up on the final day, or going into the final day. Gladbach, as we said, were already relegated. Mines beat them 3-0 in the penultimate week, which kept their hopes alive, their thin hopes but Aachen could only get a point against Wolfsburg. The goal difference disparity of both teams really meant they were both down. Aachen and Mainz were surely going down. There was minus 14 goals difference between Aachen and Wolfsburg. And in that game, Aachen were 2-0 up and going into the final 10 minutes, they were 2-0 up, but somehow contrived to draw 2-2. Wolfsburg surviving by the skin of their teeth again. And their VW-powered team would be Bundesliga champions soon, but again... A story for another day. Let's round things off as we do on the Notice Nostalgia podcast with a 2000s trivial teaser where we've got a lot of correct answers. I must have made this one very, very easy. Welcome back. This is the 2000s trivial teaser and unfortunately, Jake Collinson, incorrect. Sorry, mate. So Guy Redbrov, nope, not a winger, unfortunately. Not managed, not being managed by Alan Kirbishley. We do have four correct answers today, which I think is a record for the Not His Nostalgia podcast. We've got Will McCusker, Parker SAFC, footballers of Wikipedia and George HS2706. They all said Freddie Lundberg, who is, of course, a wide midfielder or winger. He'd been managed by Alan Kirbishley for West Ham. Lars Lagerback for the national team of Sweden. Sweden, where he'd play alongside Latin Ibrahimovic and Olaf Melberg. And, of course, he would play alongside Pascal Seagan for Arsenal and Bobby Zamora and Mark Noble for West Ham. Bobby, Bobby Zamora, heavy episode today. We are today looking for a striker, a striker who's been managed by Martin O'Neill, a striker who's been managed by Sir Alex Ferguson. Our teaser answer today, he's been alongside the likes of Zinedine Zidane, Thierry Henry, Alan Shearer, Mikel Arteta and Marcus Hanneman. Again, for those in the back, our player today, he's been managed by Sir Alex Ferguson, Martin O'Neill, both European Cup winners at numerous levels. He's played alongside Zinedine Zidane, Thierry Henry, World Cup winners, Alan Shearer, Premier League winner, Mikel Arteta, and of course, Marcus Hanneman. If you think you know the answer, tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube or any other means if you can get hold of me, where we will reveal the answer next week on episode 41. And episode 41 is another cup final spectacular. We've got the 2003 UEFA Cup final where Fulham, as I said earlier, could have made that final if they did beating her to Berlin, but perhaps not. We're also taking a look at La Liga and the fantastic title race of 2006-07, which will be fantastic to hear about. And the final day of the 2001 Premier League season, which wrapped up 20 years ago next week and the drama of the Champions League race there. Elsewhere on the YouTube channel, we're going to take a look at the Premier League season from 2005-06 in the throwback Thursday. We're going to take a look at the 2010s, Juventus, Marcello Lippi, Bayer Leverkusen, Schalke, Inter Milan, the best European Championship winning managers and 
the fantastic days, the early days of the Champions League endorsed video games. We're going to give a review of that. The podcast, we will be on Acast, Spotify, Apple. We're going to give you a bonus podcast in a week or so with the EFL playoffs around the corner. We've been covering that, previewing that. Who will get promoted to the Premier League? Who will remain in the Championship and get promoted from League One and Two? We'll cover all that next week in a bonus podcast as well as the 41st episode of the Notice Nostalgia podcast. Keep it on, what if football for the what ifs, the other scenarios, the other mini series we've got going on and of course the Notice Nostalgia podcast. Give us a five-star review if you are feeling very, very generous. But until then, see you Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.